Well, hey, I'm Ryan. Thanks so much for joining us for the teaching portion of our online service. And from our living room to yours, we love you and we're so glad that you've joined us. We're continuing our series, Come and See, a look through the book of John, the Gospel of John. And uh, our message today is going to be from John chapter 5, verse 31. So if you want to grab a Bible uh, and tune in there. Um, and also a reminder that you can take message notes at doorcreek.info and just click on the current message tab uh, to kind of keep uh, along with, with where we're at. Well, the saga continues, right? At least here in Dane County, where we've had, I think, like the 10th uh, health order just come through. And I don't know what's going on in your world, but the story of my life lately has been just trying to find a quiet place to get some work done at home. We have three kids and I love them dearly. Uh, and we're kind of doing the homeschool thing, but we, sh- we have to like share our basement space. And man, they are they're loud. I'm not going to lie. And I'm too cheap to buy like noise canceling headphones, but I did come up with a hack that I want to share with you right now. So I got like some earbuds as a gift and I've been putting these in and playing like this curated, um, you know, very carefully chosen, calm kind of orchestral music bed on Spotify. And then I remembered that I have these. So these are like ear protection for like really loud tools and they fit over earbuds. Watch this. I literally feel like I was just swallowed by a giant fish and taken to the bottom of the ocean. I can hear nothing right now. Like my kids' mouths are moving and I can't hear the voices. It's beautiful. Again, I love my kids, um, but it's nice to be able to get some work done. So my poor man's noise canceling headphones work in the safety of my basement, but they wouldn't really work very well uh, out in the real world, will they? Why not? Well, because you have to be aware of what's going on around you. And actually, there's been a a growing problem with people wearing noise-canceling headphones out, like around traffic and stuff. Uh, It all kind of started around 2012 when there was a boy, a teenager in Maryland, who tragically was wearing Um, you know, noise-canceling headphones and uh, walking along a railroad track and didn't hear the train coming that, like, ran him over. Uh, There was a pediatrician who was really concerned about this problem and did a bunch of research and realized that this is happening all over the country. And the the rate of people getting injured in traffic because of noise-canceling headphones has risen, like, 300% the last several years. Uh, and like there's a, there's a problem when uh, like there's a place to cancel out the noise around us. But what this pediatrician said in his report is there are places where being cut off from the world around you is the worst possible thing to do. It's dangerous to cancel out reality. And this, I think, is a helpful way to think about the problem that Jesus is addressing in the passage that we're about to read It's the problem of denial. Denial is when we put on reality-canceling headphones and we get lost in a world of our own curation. Or another way of putting it from the psychologist uh, Harry Triandis, he writes, people often see what they wish to see and believe what they wish to believe. And you know what I'm talking about. Uh, so I remember the day my wife plucked a hair off the back of my head. She was like, look, 
your first gray hair. I was like in my 20s. I was like, that, that's not my hair. There's no way I have gray hair. Or I remember even relatively recently, I stepped on a scale for literally the first time in years. And I was like, bro, this scale is broken right now. You know, we all have these moments where we encounter evidence that threatens our self-worth. It questions our dearly held beliefs. And so in that moment, instead of leaning into the evidence, instead of objectively listening to it, we can, uh, we, we put on our noise, can- our, our uh, reality canceling headphones and we escape into our own world where everything is fine and we don't need to change anything. And guys, this is especially true when it comes to our religious beliefs. This is where denial is so sneaky and so subtle because we live in a world where we can literally create our own realities. We can choose the experts and the the news sources that we listen to. We we can choose the, the sermons and the pastors that we listen to because they kind of agree with our assumptions and our picture of the world. And on the internet, the algorithm gods are happy to keep feeding us more and more of what they think will keep us clicking and liking and sharing. And eventually though, our reality, our curated reality collides with ultimate reality. And this is the experience that the Jewish leaders are having with Jesus in John chapter five, verse 31. And what we're gonna see is Jesus Like we're going to see how he approaches people who are in denial of the divine. And there are three things that Jesus will show us. Three things that that he incorporates in his approach to our denial. He brings confidence, he brings evidence, and he brings reality. Uh, Confidence that's unnerving, evidence that is terribly inconvenient, and reality that is ultimate. So just to kind of set up the passage, uh, this is really part three of uh, like kind of a three-part mini series in in John chapter five. And if if you, uh, it would be great actually for your sake, if you haven't heard those messages to go back and and listen to Pastor Mark telling the story that started out in John chapter five, the beginning verses where Jesus walked up to this paralytic who had been laying, like being carried around on a mat for 38 years and he healed him. And he said, pick up your mat and go. It's this beautiful picture of the work that God is doing in the world to bring renewal and healing and restoration. Um, But the problem is that he told this guy to carry his mat on the Sabbath. And if you read the Old Testament law, you know that God gave Sabbath as a way to get his people to trust him enough to rest, to stop working. It's this beautiful command in scripture that unfortunately a lot of us ignore today. But what was happening in Jesus's day is the religious the the Jewish religious leaders were building on top of Old Testament law, a a whole canon of oral tradition that they had kind of codified into what they just called the oral law. And they held that with equal authority to uh, the scripture that was written. And Jesus was challenging that. He was putting himself in the place of ultimate authority. And that threatened the, the religious leaders. And so they went after Jesus and began Uh, persecuting him and even threatening and plotting to kill him. And and this is uh, the moment 
where we pick up on the conversation starting in verse one, where Jesus approaches their denial with unnerving confidence. He says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor. And I know that his testimony about me is true. So testimony is basically outside approval. It's some stamp of authority, someone other than me that says this guy is legit, right? So when you are shopping online, you want to know that the product you're about to buy um, matches the description in real life, right? And so what do you look at? You look for reviews. And so like four and a half stars, that's pretty good. Two and a half stars, not so much. That, that's what testimony it does. It, it validates the credibility of someone. And Jesus is saying, I'm not putting the stamp of approval on my own claims to authority here. I'm getting that from someone else, from another. So who's this other person? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 37, check it out. And the father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You, talking to the Jewish leaders, have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. So Jesus is talking about the Father as if he knows him, as if he has a close, personal, intimate connection. You know, this is really unnerving because it's like, well, how are we supposed to know what the Father said about you? There's no transcript. There's no like uh, paper trail, right? There's no body cam footage of this happening. It's not like Jesus said, okay, you know what? To prove my claim, um, these disciples over here, uh, they heard the father say this about me and they've like all signed a document. Look, here it is. You can see it for yourself. No, he just says, here it is. It's a fact. What do we do with that? His confidence is unnerving, isn't it? And This is where most people go, well, look, all religious claims are the same. Every religion has some claim to authority. And so we just kind of need to treat them all the same and take what's good out of all of them and kind of leave the rest. But Jesus doesn't leave us with that option because very few of those religious movements and those religious leaders ever had the audacity to claim what Jesus is claiming about himself, that he has a unique connection to the creator God, that he is in fact God himself. And he puts us in a corner where we have to take what he said and make a decision. Is Jesus delusional? Is he lying? Is is this just like a myth that his followers made up about him centuries later? How do we know? And guys, forests of trees have died uh, to create the books that scholars have put together to answer all of those questions. And God bless you in that journey. I've walked down all of those roads and I'm, I'm astounded at the evidence uh, for, for the legitimacy of Jesus's claim. But the only thing that you cannot say is that Jesus is, you know, worth our mild approval, that he's a, basically a good guy, you know, he's had some good and helpful things to say, but if, just need to chill out because of course he's not God. He doesn't leave us with that option. His confidence is unnerving. How can he be so confident? Well, he tells us it's, his confidence comes from the approval and the testimony of his father. 
which was built over years of relational rhythm with his father, building intimacy through prayer and through Jesus studying the the scriptures and taking it in and meditating on it. And, And guys, if you're a Christian and you're struggling with doubts right now, like you want to believe that God exists, you want to believe that God is good and he's aware of what you're going through right now, what you need is not like indisputable evidence because you you can't conjure up that confidence. What we need is intimate connection, not indisputable evidence. We need intimate connection with the Father and not indisputable evidence. That's the key to becoming a confident person, confident in who Jesus is and, and vicariously confident in who we are as his followers so that no matter what we're facing, we can stand as calmly as Jesus with the same kind of confidence, the kind that comes from intimacy with our father. He, he approaches us and he approaches our denial with this unnerving confidence. But he also has evidence. Jesus never asks us to just like take a blind leap of faith and just trust him. He offers us evidence for those who have the eyes and the ears to take it in. And he gives us three sources in what we're about to read. Preachers, his miracles, and the Bible itself. So he brings us inconvenient evidence. Look at me, look, look with me. At verse uh, 33, he says, you have sent to John, talking about John the Baptist, and he testified to the truth. Now, not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it so that you might be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. Okay, so he's talking about preachers and John the Baptist was a lot of things, but one of the things he was that we don't talk about very much is he was a great preacher. Good preachers can draw a crowd. Good preachers can inspire you and challenge you and get you thinking in new ways, but great preachers can point beyond themselves to Jesus. And John the Baptist was a great preacher. Man, he was out in the wilderness electrifying crowds. Mobs were coming to him. The Jewish leaders had to send, you know, a cohort to go find out what in the world was happening as he was making announcements of the coming kingdom and the renewal of God. But when Jesus showed up to the crowds where where John the Baptist was, John stopped and he said, look right there, that's the Lamb of God who's taking away, washing away the sin and the carnage of the world. Jesus tells us here that preachers are like lamps. You know, lamps can be small like pen lights. They can be big like street lights. And the job of a preacher is just to shine in the dark and point people to Jesus, which is kind of odd when you think about it because Jesus isn't a lamp. He's the light of the world. So what this means is Jesus doesn't need preachers. Jesus didn't need John the Baptist to preach about him. And he certainly doesn't need me to preach about him right now. Just like the sun doesn't need a flashlight, you know, to to point to it. My sermon might help you see a little better in the dark. But Jesus, Jesus can turn your night into day. Don't, Don't make the mistake of just being inspired by preachers. 
while ignoring what they have to say about Jesus. My sermon may have three points, it's pretty typical, this one does, but the only point that really matters is Jesus. So he's, he's pointing to, to preachers, like that's one source of evidence that you're ignoring. Uh, and then he talks about his miracles in verse 36. He said, I have a testimony weightier than that of John. So in other words, you don't like the preachers? All right, I got better evidence for you. He says, uh, for the works that the father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the father has sent me. Okay, so he's like, okay, look at what I'm doing in the world. And you can go back to John chapter one, two, three, and four and see the miracles that John has already recorded. You, could, you can read how Jesus shows up at a wedding when the wine is run out and he, he, uh, brings, he brings wine to that feast, a symbol of what he's doing in the new creation through his work. You can read about the Samaritan woman at the well, which means that, that God is breaking through Uh, our social and political barriers through Jesus because God's love is bigger than our ethnic and our racial boundaries. John chapter five, the story that this is connected to, Jesus, like people are bringing him people on stretchers and after they encounter him, they leave walking out, carrying the stretchers that were carrying them. Jesus is filling the old dry religious institutions with new power and life, not to make people, you know, think that they're worthwhile to God, but to literally transform them from addicted, ashamed, hate-filled people into loving, wise, generous people. This is what Jesus is doing. He's doing the work of the Father. And Jesus is saying, my work speaks for itself. And Jesus continues to work today. You know, I don't know that I've encountered very many legit miracles in, in my life. And maybe it's something about kind of my mindset and what I have eyes to see with my modern kind of Western materialist, you know, mindset. But I do remember an encounter I had with a family in India when I was traveling there many years ago. I was having dinner with a family and there was a picture on a dresser of an ambulance. I was like, what's, what's up with that? Why do you have a picture of an ambulance? This is like an Indian culture thing. And this little boy who was eight said, with, with all seriousness, that's where I died. I was like, what? And his father chimed in and said, yeah, my son died in that ambulance and he was dead for a long time. But then I prayed that God would raise him back to life and he did. All right. You know, we don't really have categories for things like that with our kind of Western uh, materialist mindsets. I, I believe God can and does do miracles like that if, if we have the eyes to see it. But I also am aware that, that Jesus' work is continuing uh, to be done by the presence of his spirit through this movement we call the church. Uh, John Dickerson in his book, Jesus Skeptic, describes how scientific revolution modern universities, modern medicine, the end of open slavery, all of these amazing gifts to our, our world all sprang up out of the seedbed of trust in Christ. 
You, you say what you want about, you know, the mess that the church has created. I'm not going to deny any of that. But Jesus' work speaks for itself. And none of this really proves, right, that Jesus is who he says he is. But it does give us pause because it's evidence that, that makes it worth asking, where would we be without the work of Jesus in the world? Are you with me so far? So Jesus is like, I have evidence. There are the preachers who are pointing to me. There's the work that I'm doing that speaks for itself. There's also this thing called the Bible. Have you read it? Like, have you actually read it? Look uh, with me at verse 39. He says, um, you study the scriptures diligently. So remember, he's talking to elite Jewish religious leaders. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And if you read in the Old Testament, which uh, Jesus did, which the religious leaders of his day certainly did, you'll see over and over again, Moses and the other biblical authors were announcing, predicting, look, the Messiah is coming. This is what he's going to be like. This is what he's going to do. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And Jesus shows up and he's like, I'm here. And the religious leaders are like, who? So the problem with these guys wasn't that they didn't read the Bible. It's that they read it just to affirm their own assumptions. And we all do this. We especially do this about the Bible. I've talked to a lot of people about the Bible. I've read a lot of books about the Bible. And I think basically we all kind of fall into basic camps. There's the camp that really assumes or believes about the Bible that it's basically uh, a set of like moral rules written on a, a golden tablet that just fell from the sky. A divine moral code that somehow is absolved from the normal rules, you know, of like science and history and literary context, the rules that we operate by every day. And, and our job as Christians is to just read it and believe it and obey it mindlessly. That's one camp. And that's kind of the camp that I grew up in. It's kind of what I was taught. There's another side though that says, when they look at the Bible, look, it's basically a man-made book. It's full of myths and old religion. And there may be a few good nuggets in there. You know, it certainly contributed to Western philosophy and thought, but mostly it's just a whole lot of outdated, sometimes cringeworthy stuff that's really best kept out of the hands of children and fundamentalists. And most of us pick up the Bible with more or less one of these two assumptions already firmly embedded in our psyches. And that's kind of what the Jewish leaders were doing. They were coming to scripture, not with humility, not wanting to encounter the God who is being revealed in scripture and through scripture, but just to affirm their own assumptions about scripture. But the kind of reading Jesus is inviting us to do is to approach the Bible with humility, with the desire to take it seriously enough to understand what it's trying to say and taking time to let it speak for itself. And what we find when we do that is it points us to Jesus. The good news is, you know, if you're not a Christian, you don't have to be a Christian 
to read the Bible this way. If you are a Christian, the good news is that the Holy Spirit who inspired these words is also inspiring and working in you to do the hard work of interpreting these words, which is a very difficult job to do. And you can spend your whole life doing it. I encourage you to do that. But what it requires is that we have to be intellectually honest when we start reading it. And this is really inconvenient. All this evidence that Jesus brings is so inconvenient. Uh, This really hit home for me a few years back. I was flying home on a plane and God forbid you ever sit next to me on a plane because I'll I'll do this to you the whole time. Sorry, it's because I love you. (laughs) And and so we were flying in a plane and I was sitting next to this young guy who had just pitched this big uh, business idea in the city in California where we were. And the question came up then about what I do. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And that just kind of eventually led to kind of where we stand on the whole religion thing and the Bible thing and the Jesus thing. And, and eventually he said, you know what? I've, I've read the Bible. Uh, I just don't believe in God. And I don't know, there's something about the conversation that kind of tuned me in to maybe the veneer that he was trying to put on. And I was like, you haven't really read the Bible, have you? And to his credit, he was like, no, no, I guess I haven't. But, but I, I've still arrived to my conclusion. He said, my existential crisis days are behind me. I'm good now. I don't need to look at the evidence to know what I believe. You hearing that? That's denial, man. Um, Richard Rohr, in his book, uh, Falling Upward, writes, before the truth sets you free, it tends to make you miserable. (laughs) Man, that's so true. You know, the evidence that Jesus brings us is terribly inconvenient. And that's the reason most of us ignore it. Because it's scary. You know, it threatens the way we view the world. And to really understand it, it takes humility. It takes a lot of time. It takes, most of all, ruthless honesty with yourself. This is why most people are content to just ignore it, uh, to do what Paul writes about in Romans chapter one, suppress the truth, to laugh it off, to minimize it, to really excuse ourselves from it and just to carry on with our lives because let's be honest, that's a lot easier to do. But the danger in ignoring ultimate reality is that we will eventually collide with it. And that's what Jesus gets at, starting in verse 41, where he talks about ultimate reality. He says, I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? See, this is where we realize that Jesus doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. Like notice how how undesperate Jesus is. Is that a word? Can I use that? He's just so not desperate. He's so calm. He's so like straight faced. He's like, I don't need your glory to be who I am. In verse 41, he says, I don't need your acceptance. In verse 43, he says, I'm not here to make a name for myself. I'm here in my father's name. 
Your denial of me does nothing to lessen the reality of the, my identity as a son of God. See, Jesus doesn't need us. Sometimes we think that we're doing a favor when we believe in Jesus. He doesn't need us to do any favors for him. In fact, we need him. Did you feel the, the sincerity, the longing in Jesus' voice? He says, I'm here to give you the love of God, to put it in your hearts, but you keep pushing me away in verse 42. He says, I'm here to share with you the glory of the Father, but you would rather maintain your status quo. I'm trying to bring you eternal life. I'm trying to help you live life the way it was meant to be lived, but you refuse to come to me in verses 39 and 40. You feel the gentleness in Jesus here. And he doesn't even accuse these religious leaders or condemn them. Look in verse 45, he says, but do not think I will accuse you before the father. Your accuser is Moses on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? This is, this is where we realize that Jesus is bringing to us ultimate reality. That he is coming to us as ultimate reality embodied, seeking to bring not accusation, but freedom and love and life. And that we're the ones with reality canceling headphones on, standing on the train tracks about to get run down. But Jesus, the the beautiful thing about Jesus and the thing that, that we'll follow along as we continue in our study of John is that he lets our denial kill him. See, Jesus isn't content to just let us be run over by the train. He gets out of the, he pushes us out of the way stands in our place. And we read, you know, after the, the religious leaders uh, worked with the Romans to put Jesus on a cross, that while he was nailed there, he looked down on the people who just murdered him and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He comes to us as ultimate reality, as the love and life of God embodied I have two questions for you. One for my church people. You know who you are. I love you. You know, Jesus is talking to these very religious Jewish leaders and he says, I know you. I know you. I know what's in your heart. The implication is I know you better than you know yourself. I'm going to tell you, you do not have the love of God in your hearts. So church friends, do you have the love of God in your heart? Are you, are you experiencing, are you resting in God's love? Is that your daily reality? You know, like, how would you know? Well, how do I know my wife loves me? You know, I could ask her to prove it, you know? Show me, show me the money. Show me that you love me. Prove it to me beyond a shadow of a doubt. Or I could just spend time with her and get to know her. I could experience her love. And guys, this is so important right now when we as a church are facing so many hard things with the pandemic and with the election and with uh, the ongoing 
uh, racial injustice that we're all reckoning with. There are so many hard things and maybe there are hard things in your own family or in your own body right now. And I just wanna ask you, are you resting in God's love? Are you experiencing a rhythm of connection with the Father that is infusing you with the kind of calm and the confidence that Jesus has? I'm gonna talk to my de-churched friends so you know who you are. You know, um, you're watching this probably because someone either guilted you into it or because you're just kind of in a curious, seeking place right now. And, and you've experienced the church. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home, but you've walked away. And for you, I, I just want to point out that the Jewish leaders, they were sincere, right? They were diligently seeking out truth in the scriptures, but they could not find it because what they were really doing was just trying to confirm their own assumptions. So I want to ask you, are you listening to the evidence? Are you really listening to the evidence? Have you given it the time it requires to take it seriously? Because the truth is that you're living in a reality, you know, and someone gave it to you. You know, maybe you made it yourself. Maybe someone gave it to you. Do you know why you're staking your life in it? Do you know where it came from? Do you know why you believe it? Is it possible that maybe you haven't really done the hard work of taking off your headphones and really listening uh, to the evidence? And maybe for you, it's time to just grab a book, you know, do a little bit of reading. Uh, You can find on Amazon or anywhere uh, the book Confronting Christianity. I would highly recommend Confronting Christianity by uh, Rebecca McLaughlin. Another one I would highly recommend is um, Jesus Skeptic by John Dickerson. We just start to kind of walk through these things. If you're not so much a reader, but you're maybe a podcast person, I would highly recommend the podcast Unbelievable with Justin Brierley. And that's just a fair space where like Christians and non-Christians are put together to have really gut level, honest uh, conversations. You can also go to our website and find out about Alpha, which is a space that we have created virtually right now where you can just ask honest questions without any judgment or any fear. And maybe that's the next step for you. Now, regardless of where you are, I'm so glad that you've joined us. Let's just close our time with uh, a final prayer to God. So Jesus, um, we're so grateful and we're so awed with the way you approach us. No matter where we are uh, in our spiritual journeys, you approach us with such calm and such confidence and you invite us to experience the love and the glory and the life of the Father. Thank you that you don't condemn and accuse us you just, you just point us to the reality of who you are. So Lord, let us pivot in our hearts and in our lives toward you. We love you, Jesus. And we thank you for this time that we've gotten to have together. And it's in your name we pray, amen.